0: Hello and welcome to Episode 5 of Crew Shaken, a Warhammer 40,000 tabletop wargaming podcast recorded in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in the United States. I'm your host, Tim. Thank you for joining me. Here in Episode 5, we'll be diving into the new release of Shadow War Armageddon. We'll be trying to draw a through line between Shadow War Armageddon and Necromunda. It's spiritual predecessor or so i'm told so for episode five we're going to mix together managing the meta and future history the future history section will be about necromunda and the managing the meta section will take a look at shadow war armageddon returning to the show today is jason a longtime fan of necromunda and someone who's extremely excited about the release of shadow war armageddon Jason, good to have you back.
1: Great to be here, Tim.
0: Jason, let's start off episode five, talking hobby progress. What have you been working on?
1: Well, I've moved into the world of commission painting. Oh. Yeah, yeah so I've got two uh, other people's projects on my table. Sweet, what are they? Uh, I am painting a squad of Tartaros Terminators mm. from the Horus Heresy box game um and i'm real happy with that because i saw those models and i knew i wanted to paint them but i they don't fit into my army right um i love all the clean lines and big empty spaces on those models it's uh great for weathering hmm. and all kinds of the grime and rust stains so i'm painting some of those for our buddy alex so uh, those will be imperial fist they will be well i don't know if i can say what they're gonna be because okay. he has uh Told me to surprise him. Sweet. Okay, cool. So, but they're chaos.
0: Cool. Okay.
1: So. Interesting. Yeah, he doesn't even know what I'm painting them as. He just said, I have this unit, paint them, surprise me. Hmm. So, working on those. And and that's cool because it's allowed me to use some colors that I wouldn't normally use. Everything that I do is brown, you know. So, I'm psyched about that. Great. And I'm also painting some tau, which is completely. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. The tau are really cool because I've been asked to do. A jungle theme so i love basing so i'm really playing around with the basing hmm. i have these little tiny ferns and uh plenty of sticks and, and rocks and cool stagnant water water effects yeah it's gonna be great
0: how are you approaching uh painting these commissions are you finding that you're using a different are you are you finding that you're trying to be more organized than you are when you're painting your own stuff do you have like what's your process
1: it's it's essentially the same um except for our, you know i hold myself to uh, more of a schedule. If I'm painting my stuff, right. you know the Mauler fiend that we talked about last time I was yeah. on the show uh, took me about a year and a half to paint because I got sick of it. But I can't do that this time. You right. know, you have someone's, to see
0: it through quickly. Yeah, yeah. someone's waiting
1: right. for it. So, right. and you know, speaking about Shadow War, I have this big box of Shadow War terrain that I can't wait to crack open, but I got to do this this commission first. Right. So right. it needs to get. In. So the the actual painting process is pretty much the same, but yeah. uh, it's just in terms of the schedule is uh condensed and uh just being a little more rigorous oh it's good about that yeah yeah Yeah, it's real good
0: yeah it's 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 kind of forcing you to focus which is cool
1: yeah and you know i i have a tendency to finish a project halfway and then come back to it over a year later right so this is good for me can't do that here no not at all
0: cool um and how involved throughout the process are you getting your clients Or, or is it just here's what i want do it and then i'll see when the models are done or are you checking in with them periodically on progress
1: it's sort of a client by client basis. Mm-hmm. Um, Alex really just wanted the models painted and didn't care how, so he gave me full reign. Sweet. And I'm not going to show him anything till it's done because he said surprise me, and to me that means he wants to be surprised. So he will not see any updates. I might tell him, hey, I worked on your models tonight. Sure. Oh, sure. they're halfway done. Oh, they're seventy five percent done. Right. But I'm not going to show him any work in progress shots. Um, I have a, my other client, uh, Carl, who's another buddy of ours. He has suggestions. Oh, I want want you to use this scheme you know so which is cool i like that too um because with the commission painting um i really want to produce a result that the person who's hired me is going to be happy with so you know i want to hear their input i want to hear oh you know use you know make this guy red you know make this guy green okay We'll do that
0: because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you're bringing you're kind of bringing their vision to life with yours, which is really cool.
1: Yeah. And, then, you know, if if they have a vision, they, they imagined the way they want a model to look and then they've come to me to create that. You know, that's uh, an honor to me to be trusted, to be able to do that. So right. I want to work with them to make sure that they get the result that they're happy with.
0: Are you taking photographs each step of the way, and will you be putting them on headwoundminis.com?
1: Um, you know what? I, I need to be better about that. But yes. Yes. I will be... Uh, I, well, again, not for Alex's project, because that's a secret project. But when it's done... When it's Oh, yeah, yeah. When it's done, you'll see it. Yeah, Great. for sure. Great. And then the Tau... Yes, I'll probably do some work in progress with the Tau. I'm trying some new things on them. So... I will definitely be documenting the progress for myself and I'll certainly share it with everyone else.
0: Even when you're painting your own stuff, are you good about documenting what you're doing? No, do you no. write down what like paints and everything you don't?
1: I'm, I'm awful. I'm really inconsistent. I do. Sometimes I have a little diagram of a, uh, a, a demon sword that I came up with, uh, about a year ago that I sketched out and it's been hanging on my fridge, for, like almost the entire time I've lived in this place and I still haven't sculpted it. Right. Um, and then I have my paints. Uh, I have a, a couple of my formulas written out. Okay. For these guys, I use this color, then this color, then this color. But again, I'm very inconsistent and it's really bitten me because there's been times when, you know, I've painted, you know, awesome diseased flesh on this one guy and I can't really replicate it because (laughs) I don't remember what I did.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've been trying to, I've been trying to get good about documenting stuff. So I've been taking like pictures of the paints mm -hmm. of the palette and of the model next to each other in like one shot.
1: Mm -hmm. That's a,
0: Just as a a quick snapshot, you know? Yeah,
1: that's a really good idea.
0: Not that it would help necessarily with like the two dots of this and two dots of this mixed together give you this, but at least you kind of get a a baseline of where you're at. Yeah.
1: Yeah, what I do, my my paints are actually fairly organized by Mm. color and type of paint and things like that. And then I'll have like a a little section, which is recently used paints, so I can kind of tell what I did, but that really is just a lazy way of not putting the paints back. Right.
0: My hobby progress has also been... Kind of based around a commission job I'm working on for a friend. This is uh, it's an AOS army. It's an undead AOS army, some vampire counts and whatnot. I'm trying to do the majority of the work using just washes, inks, ghost tints, that kind of thing. I'm trying to work with a lot of transparent, translucent layers. Just trying some different stuff. Should be fun. It's a nice, nice looking army. Everything is cavalry. So it's all um, Hex Wraiths and Black Knights and whatnot. So far, so good. Cool, we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. (coughs) We're talking about Shadow War. We have a bunch of boxes in front of us, and now you have a box at home, waiting to be opened and built. I do. Before we hit the red record button, we were chatting about combining multiple sets of shadow war armageddon we have a couple of sets in front of us here i know you have one at home there's a number of other sets floating around our gaming group do you combine the sets do you combine them across the gaming group because i'm picturing like putting four or five of our sets together to build like a you know like a like a monstrosity oh, like yeah. a thing right yeah like a big tall thing that you can't see over I don't want to see over it. No, I I agree with you. But it's okay to paint it all differently then.
1: Sure. I mean, it's industrial. It's just an industrial nightmare.
0: And it's the levels. So each level can kind of represent a different strata of the hive world's development or decay. Right. That's the vibe, right? Right. So we're talking about Shadow War Armageddon, new boxed game, terrain available separately soon. What is it, Jason?
1: Shadow War Armageddon is the spiritual successor of Necromunda. It's a skirmish game where all of your models move independently instead of in units. It's set in the Warhammer 40k universe, uh, and what I mean by Necromunda, this was a game that came out in, I believe the mid '90s. '95. Yeah, it all blurs together at this mm-hmm. point. <laughs> um, and the the setting of Necromunda, there's uh, it takes place on a Hive World, which is this Imperial planet that is just covered in these giant spires that are self-contained cities. And outside of the spire is just death, this toxic wasteland. But these cities have billions upon billions of inhabitants. And they uh, essentially just build layers upon layers. And the upper crust lives at the top above the poison clouds. And everyone else lives down in the sewers. And in Necromunda, you were playing gangs, which were cool. They were specific to the setting. They all had a different flavor, but they're all human gangs.
0: And they were based on houses, correct? Right. They were different kind of clans, yeah.
1: Right, right. So you have uh, Escher, which were the sort of uh, uh, new wave punk all-girl band gang. Uh, then you had uh, Orlock, which were these industrial workers. Mm. Uh, there, was a, there was a variety of them. Yeah. And then later there was uh, Outlaws... So in an expansion, uh, so you had people that even the gangs despised. Uh, they had redemptionists, which were this imperial cult. Mm. Um, there was a, there was a whole bunch of them. So for Shadow War, so it was originally released as a box
0: game as well, yeah.
1: Right. Okay. Right, and there was a there was a few expansions. Okay,
0: but it was self contained. You got a team of gang members. You got terrain. You got rules, etc., and so on. That's right. Okay.
1: That's right. I believe the original box game had. Goliath, which was a, a House Goliath, which was a gang of uh, He-Man. Mm-hmm. S- essentially, <laughs> uh, everyone was He-Man. <laughs> okay, cool. um, and then the uh, the Orlocks that I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and they all had sort of different flavors. So one gang is shooty, one gang is going to hit you with a wrench, one gang is uh, sneaky. Some was one had uh, better tech. It was a mix of all, all of them. Um, so Shadow War Mageddon is it's very similar. The rules are almost exactly the same. And, in fact, if you saved some of your old books, you could play those gangs against the Armageddon, the Shadow War gangs. Oh, okay. Um, the rules are 95% the same. Okay. There's very, very little changes. Actually, they cut some things out, some of the campaign things that I actually really loved. But um, I see why they did it. It makes sense. Um, so, in Shadow War Armageddon, it's the same premise. You have this, this gang kill team really you have this squad of of guys right and it's a skirmish combat they're they're climbing gantries and ducking behind pipes and things like that um but instead of gangs you can play with your 40k army so you probably if you play 40k you probably have a shadow War kill team on your shelf and you don't know it
0: already ready to go yeah yeah okay um so it was developed originally around second edition 40k rules
1: yeah i believe so yes
0: and pointed the same as Shadow War is today. So Necromunda, the point values are essentially the same. Yeah,
1: they're they're very similar. Yeah. Yeah. So, for example, you might pay fifteen points for a plasma gun in forty k. Yeah. But you're going to pay ninety five points for a plasma gun in this game. Mm-hmm. They're not. It's not going to be a port. The models are the same. The point values are not the same.
0: Gotcha. The campaign system that you mentioned. How did how does that work how did that work back then and what's the analog of it today
1: so the original one was a little more detailed you'd, you'd play a game uh, you'd set up you'd play your game there'd be different missions and they were they were much more varied than 40k missions and 40k you essentially are trying to kill someone or you or take a point and that's basically it right so there was a, a much wider variety in, in this game uh, sure you'd be trying to kill someone sure you'd be trying to claim the loot but the loot would act more like the artifact does in uh, in a 40k mission. So it's actually a counter that moves, and you you might you might grab the loot, and then the guy goes down, and they grab it back. There's just gotcha. a lot more fluid. Right. Um, there was uh, it was possible for your men to get captured, and if your men get got captured, you could actually rescue them. Hmm. But you play a mission to rescue them. There was uh, there was missions that represented an attack on someone's headquarters. There was all kinds of stuff going on. Right. So you'd play your game, and then. After the game there's a whole extra phase that was almost as involved and arguably more rewarding than the game itself uh because your your guys would so if they go down in the game there's a chance they die but there's a better chance that they survive with some sort of horrific injury right um and they they actually may so you know they could lose an eye they could lose a leg they could lose an arm they could take uh, damage to their torso, which I think would reduce their toughness. Things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they could develop if uh, they can get a head wound, and basically they would be frenzy because they're just <laughs> they they're just not, bug out. They're not yeah. there anymore. Gotcha. Um, they could miraculously recover and develop a grudge against the model that took them out of action. Ooh, like so that. yeah, yeah, yeah like you have it. a sort of a, a Moby Dick thing going on. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, was cool. cool. Yeah. And in, adi- in addition to that, uh, you would roll for your territories. So since you're a gang, you know, you have this uh sort of sharks versus jets vibe going on. Yeah. So it's not just about you know, killing the other. You're you're trying to expand your territory in the underhive. Gotcha. So you you would generate your territories if you want a game, you would claim another territory um and they would be things like I don't remember exactly but you know, the junk pile, the local bar, things like that.
0: They'd be yours after that game. Right. Gotcha. Right. Huh.
1: Uh, in Shadow War Armageddon, that has been simplified, so some of the character is lost. Uh, but you're still you're still doing this thing where you have, uh, you know, you play the game, then your characters get either persistent injuries and or advancements. So over the course of many games, your characters are developing more abilities. Um, they're increasing their characteristics, and you're also uh, in this game. You're you're not fighting over territory. You're trying to gather Prometheum caches. Mm. It's a little more simple, but there still is this element of advancement, which is, to me, incredibly rewarding. You could lose a game and still be pleased with your progress. Right.
0: You're putting together now a a Shadow War campaign because the game is set up to incentivize you to play a series of games with the same group of players, mm-hmm. so that those upgrades happen in context of this campaign.
1: Right. You can play one game of Shadow War Armageddon. It's it's a lot shorter. You could probably play a game in 45 minutes to an hour and a half. Oh, it's
0: that short. And you could play I, it by itself. I didn't know it was that short.
1: Well, Necromunda was. Mm-hmm. It's variable, because if you take a certain number of casualties, you'll take what's called a bottle test, and if you fail, you're you're booking. Like, you're just out of there. They're out of there. Huh. So it's the same in this game. So game could go a lot longer, but I've played necromunda games that were 30 minutes long because two turns in you just lost some dudes and you said you know what i'm out and there's actually a mission uh it's not a mission it's a uh it's what's called a subplot which are sort of special rules that get added onto every mission uh called lightning strike and you're actually there just to get in and get out so you might play a two-turn game and that actually might be to your advantage because every time the game's over you get to roll for treasure you get to roll for advancements Mm. so you might want to do that right
0: well i guess in a campaign Somebody who is organizing the campaign would set up who's playing who and what mission each player is doing, correct?
1: That's not really dealt with in the book. Gotcha. That would be more per choose your own adventure. Right. Gotcha. Right. Okay. In the book, it's just there's the process for for generating the game. So you roll for your mission, you roll for your subplots, which are the special rules that are applicable, you play your game and then you do your after game stuff.
0: The limited release nature of this box set, how did that strike you?
1: A little short sighted maybe. Huh. I mean, I, I have nothing negative to say. Uh, I was happy that it came back at all. Right. I've, been, I've been missing this game for a long time. As much as I love 40K, I really like the idea of a skirmish game in the same universe. Yeah. I'm so in bet There's a lot of other skirmish games out there, and some of them are really great, but I'm really invested in the 40K universe. Sure. So the fact that it's here at all is great, and I think they dealt with it pretty well. I think the, the rules are tight. Um, I think actually reusing all the Necromunda rules I don't think it was lazy. I think it was really smart. Um, and I think it's cool that they decided not to set it in this weird alternate sub-setting. Even though that ha- was cool, it had a lot of character, but you can use your stuff. Anyone can play. Right. If it's your it's- friend has a rulebook, you're playing the game. Right. Um, but I would like to see it get a little more support. I think they didn't um, really anticipate the popularity. Mm. Um, but there's a lot of old-school gamers who've been playing Necromunda, and they missed it.
0: Who are still into it. Yeah. yeah. There's also talk of the rules that are in this book sort of being the shape of things to come maybe for 40k 8th edition at large. Mm-hmm. Um, I think more specifically just that move distance is now, it's unique to each character or each each model has its own move distance assigned to it. Right. How does that strike you?
1: Um, you know, there's been a lot of reliable rumors that the move stat in 8th edition is going to be variable, which I think is going to be great for the game. Mm. It's going to be really tactical. But as far as the rest of the rules, I don't know that this is really uh, bodes anything for the future. Necromunda has always been its own thing.
0: Right. They're just set up to have a quicker skirmish-style game with fewer models, models moving independently of each other. Right. And what about the verticality of it? You never... You know, playing 40K, you don't... I don't know why it never occurred to me, but why wouldn't you build like a two-story terrain piece and have everybody inside of it and battling it out? Mm-hmm. I guess because the unit types don't really... The fact that you have to have a unit at all right. makes it hard to maneuver inside of a thing like that. Just logistically, that's one reason. Yeah, But it does seem really cool that you can build up, 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 as opposed to out, out, out.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's super cool. It's it's very awkward in 40K, and I find it often is really unbalancing. You know, if your opponent has jump troops and you don't. Oh. Uh, right. You know, or sure. if the, the two-story thing is in their deployment zone and they put their sniper up there and there's no physical way to get up there. Yeah. Uh, so, in a regular game of 40K, it's it's hard to do. It's really yeah. limiting. But here, all bets are off.
0: Right, because they're each moving independently of one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do the points work? Is it a typical... Is there like a ceiling on the number of points you can take per game? Or is it like 40K and you can choose? Is it going to be X number of points versus X number of points? If or is you, it prescribed?
1: If you wanted to play a one-off game that had a different number of points, you certainly could. Or if you wanted to play a campaign with larger or smaller starting first, you certainly could. Um, but in Shadow Armageddon, you have a thousand points to build your warband
0: to points. start. Okay.
1: Um, and again, that thousand points doesn't mean what it means in 40k. It's a thousand points for these rules. So,
0: Everything's a lot more expensive here.
1: Oh, yeah. And, and and your your models come with basically nothing. So you, if you're playing Chaos, for example, you can get a Chaos guy in power armor, but he comes with a knife. And that's it. If, even if you want to buy him a bolt pistol, you have to spend, it's like 25 points. So it's not cheap. Uh, right. Yeah, I, I built a fully power-armored Chaos Marine uh, warband as basically uh, a loner to get people interested. And it's five guys, and it's a 1,000 points. Right. Yeah, so (laughs) it's a little different. But the cool thing about this is you're not necessarily always going to be playing against an equal-value strength opponent, because after every game, you have what's called a a refit phase, and you get to add another 100 points to your your warband. So if you've lost guys, you'll be down... If someone hasn't lost and they just keep refitting, they'll be up. So there's right. a, it's it's asymmetrical, and you have to. Sometimes you will be facing someone who is more powerful than you, and just, you need to be smart. Interesting. And that's where that biology comes in. Maybe maybe you want to. You know, you lost two guys, and you said, you know what, I'm going to get creamed. I'm done with this. Yeah. And you get out of there.
0: Right. I'm looking at the uh, the Space Marine Scout page in the rulebook here, and a Scout Sergeant is two hundred points. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Your Scout is hundred points. Your uh, junior scout is 75 points, and your gunner is 110 alone. And you're paying for different ammunition. You're paying for grenades. You're paying for the camo cloak, of course. You're paying for a chainsword is 25 points. Yeah.
1: And what I love about this game is the chainsword actually has rules. How do you mean? Well, in 40K, if I have a chainsword or a stick, they're both the same. Mm -hmm. They're both a close combat weapon. But here... There's different. There's a different rules profile for a chainsword versus. Uh, there's a different rules profile for everything. So a guy with a knife has a different rule than a guy with an axe versus a flail. It, there's, it's great.
0: <laughs> Let's talk about that bottle test because when I was reading over the rules, that was that's totally unique to this setting as opposed to 40k. Mm-hmm. It's it's a leadership test of some kind.
1: So you'll take a you'll take a certain amount of casualties. Um, this is basically this is Shadow War's version of a leadership test. ok. So in forty k, if your unit takes a certain amount of casualties, they'll fall back. In this game, if your overall, there's no units, everyone moves independently. but your your kill team as a whole uh, is taking this test
0: they have an awareness of each other and each other's status even though the fact that they're not playing as a unit right Uh, let me i'll read the first paragraph of the rule sure the bottle test a kill team that sustains heavy casualties risks losing its bottle the bottle test is a special role the player must make at the start of their turn if a quarter or more of their kill team is down or out of action rounding up for example in a kill team of 10 fighters a test is required if three or more fighters are down or out of action so, if you lose three or more, if you lose 25% or more, mm-hmm. you're taking this bottle test. Right. And it's 2d6. If the score is more than the kill team's leadership characteristic, then the test is failed and the kill team bottles out of combat. Where's that phrase from, bottles out? I've never heard this before.
1: It, okay. was, it was in the original Necromunda rules, and I've never heard it either. It's got to be some sort of old-timey gang uh, slang.
0: I'll have to look it up. I picture yeah. them like chucking an empty whiskey bottle and just running off the battlefield. <laughs> I'll, have to, I'll, I'll have to see where that's from, yeah. They bottle out of combat. The game ends immediately, and surviving fighters retreat from the area. A failed bottle test is the most common way for a game to end. I didn't realize that.
1: Yeah, this is, there's, it's not turned as in a normal 40k game.
0: Huh. If the kill team leader is out of action or is down, then the leader may not use their leadership to take the test. Instead, use the highest leadership characteristic amongst those of the remaining fighters who are neither down nor out of action. That's the bottle test.
1: Right. Furthermore... A player may voluntarily fail a bottle test if they wish to do so, in which case there is no need to take the test. The mission simply ends. Why would you do that? Why would, Why would that? you choose to automatically lose the game? Why? Because you're in a bad position and you don't want to take more casualties, because you, you realize you have no chance of winning, you're going to cut your losses, and you're still going to get a reward for winning the game.
0: So in a campaign setting, it's sometimes worth it to just get the hell out of town. Right. Huh. Neither down nor out of action, it says there. Because you can have a character that is down, but not dead. That's right. Right. Explain that to me.
1: So, in, in this game, when a character's wounds go to zero, they roll on a chart. On a six, I believe, they're killed outright. Uh, on a two to five, they get knocked down. On a, I'm sorry. So, on a six, they're killed outright.
0: Killed outright and removed from the board.
1: Right, they're, correct. They don't lay correct. down and... Right, they're, they're just they're gone. They're not hanging out. They're again. gone. Gotcha. On a one, they take a flesh wound, which is basically no effect, but they get minus one to their ballistic skill and their weapon skill, because it's been it's a minor wound.
0: For just the next turn or for the rest of the game? I believe it's for the
1: rest of the okay. game. Gotcha. And then from a two to five, they go down. Now, they're, they're on the ground, they're bleeding, we don't know what happened to them. They might pop back up. It's very cinematic.
0: Okay, I'm, I'm looking at... Uh... Page 34 here under Injuries. If it's a 1 on that wound, target has sustained a minor wound. Subtract 1 from their weapon skill and ballistic skill for the rest of the game. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. So you can continually get wounded. Say if you're a 3 wound model, you can have your ballistic skill and weapon skill reduced by 2 before you're done. Uh, If it's 2 to 5 on that wounding roll, the target falls down to the ground where they lie wounded and barely conscious. Turn the model face down. And six, you're out of action. You you remove the model from play immediately. Right. Gotcha.
1: So, the well, first of all, to clarify, you're only rolling on this chart when you lose your last wound. Most models in this game have only have one wound, so as soon as you take a wound, you're rolling on this chart. Uh-huh. But there are a few multiple wound models, for example, the Chaos Spawn. Okay. Um, well, I'm not sure what else. Okay. So you're, that's only happening once you go to your last wound. Gotcha. But you can't count on having actually killed that model once you take it down. Mm-hmm. Which is why if you knock someone down by shooting, they're going to continue to roll on this chart now and they may get back up. They may bleed out. Right. They may never get back up. Uh, Which is an advantage of close combat in this game because if you knock someone down in close combat and you're the only one in combat with them they don't have any buddies with them right you can finish them off and they are still there to hit them
0: again right Mm. right okay um the down under right underneath that chart down when a fighter goes down they are either badly injured or temporarily knocked senseless they might recover or they might lapse into unconsciousness and even die during their movement phase a fighter who is down can crawl two inches but other than this the fighter cannot do anything else this enables a badly wounded fighter to get behind cover that's really cool yeah yeah wow
1: yeah see
0: Hmm. Okay. Yeah. A player must find out what happens to any of their fighters who are down at the end of their recovery phase. Make an injury roll. If you roll a 1, the, the fighter suffers a flesh wound and are pinned for one turn. Turn the model face up to show this. So that's why you're flipping models face up and face down. Mm-hmm. If you roll a 2 through 5, the fighter's situation is unchanged. If you roll a 6, essentially you've bled out and you're taken out of action right. the second time around. There's still Overwatch...
1: Overwatch works a little differently in this, and it's actually, uh, I think, a little more tactical and definitely cooler. Mm. Um, whereas in 40K, currently, Overwatch happens only when you're being charged. Um, in this game, Overwatch can happen any time. So, I could activate my Overwatch to fire at someone who's not even attacking me.
0: Hmm. So it's more like a uh, an AR. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's exactly yeah. that. Right. And, so uh, it's and an ARO. Actually,
1: the yeah. the example given in the book is if uh, an enemy fighter tries to dart from one piece of cover to another, but I have a fighter on Overwatch watching, I can actually shoot at them when they're between cover.
0: But you have to activate a fighter in Overwatch. Right. So instead of moving or instead of shooting, or how does that work? How do you, you put somebody in Overwatch?
1: You give up your entire turn. You don't move or shoot.
0: Oh, uh, okay. So at the start of my turn, I could say this, these, this, this this and this or in Overwatch, and I see there's an Overwatch counter. I'd put that next to those models. Right. So anybody within their line of sight, within the range of their weapon, I take it, yeah? Yes. I, can, I, get a, I get a shot at whoever passes within that arc of fire.
1: As long as they're in front of you. So that's the other thing about this game. Facing matters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you're going to want to draw facing lines on your models, which is something that you may not have had to do for 40k. So you can sneak behind a model that's not facing. Yeah, and in fact, there's a whole variety of stealth skills that mm. your characters can learn.
0: I noticed there was also a rule for silenced weapons, mm-hmm. because if you're in cover and you take a shot, then you're out of cover. But if you roll, if you if you sh- if you're shooting a silenced weapon, you could still remain in cover after you take the shot.
1: Um, I believe that's not cover; that's
0: hiding. Hiding, hiding and cover hiding, are two right, different. Hiding. That's what I meant to say. So hiding is another mechanic that's unique to Shadow War Armageddon and previously Necromunda. It was called that was in Necromunda, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah,
1: that's the bread and butter of Necromunda. Okay.
0: Hiding rules allows us to represent the fact that real people can duck down and conceal themselves in a way our unmoving and dramatically posed fighters cannot. A hiding fighter keeps as still as possible, just peeking out over their cover or around a corner. Hiding is sometimes useful if you want to keep out of a fight until the enemy gets within close range, or if you want a breather to recover and to regroup your forces. Really great photograph there of a space marine scout with a sniper rifle in hiding.
1: And just as an aside, the, great, the thing I love about this game is that your kill teams can actually function the way they're designed in the stories.
0: How do you mean elaborate on that? So,
1: yeah, in 40k, if I have a scout team, yeah, sure, they're, they're sitting in cover, but in this game, they're really sneaking up on someone. They're really being stealthy. They're really doing what scouts are meant to do.
0: Because you can move, like, behind a model, or...
1: Yeah, and to, to me that's just so evocative, and as a As a person who's motivated primarily by the narrative and the the feel of the game, that's Mm -hmm. that's what really draws me in.
0: I like that. Going back to that silenced weapons, I thought this was cool. Silent weapons. Some weapons emit no sound or flare, and they'll be noted as silent in their armor entry. If a hidden fighter fires a silent weapon, then there is a chance they will remain undetected. After the attack has been made, roll a d6. On a 1 to 3, the shooter is spotted and is no longer hidden. You take away the counter in that case. You take away the marker. Right. Um, while on a 4 up, you remain hidden. I'm starting to see the, the, the potential here.
1: Yeah. It takes my sniper and it turns him it from just damage output to an actual sniper.
0: Right, right. It's much more characterful. Yeah. I also really like this notion of a stray shot. Yes. <laughs> I'll read that. When a fighter shoots and misses, it sometimes happens that the path of the shot passes close to one of your own fighters. If a shot passes within one half inch of a friend at any point along its path, then there is a chance of accidentally hitting the friend. This can only happen when you roll a two-hit roll of one, and only if the friend is closer to the target than the firing model is. Roll a further d6 to determine if the stray shot hits the intervening fighter. On a roll of one, the intervening fighter is hit. Resolve the shot against that fighter as normal. There may be a choice of more than one fighter who could be hit by the stray shot. In this case, randomize which target is hit. That's pretty great.
1: Yeah, you'll want to stay out of your firing lens.
0: Right. You're going to want to get that guy out of the way. That's pretty badass.
1: So there's a variety of skills, and they're grouped by type. So there's combat skills, ferocity skills, guerrilla skills, agility, muscle, shooting, and stealth. And the the really great thing that I, that I love about this is that Games Workshop has provided uh, tables to tell you what... Units are eligible to gain what skills, which allows you to actually play different orc clans or different space marine chapters and notice a slight gameplay difference, mm. which is really cool. Oh, I like that,
0: yeah. For instance, the Blood Angels, a trooper, cannot get skills from gorilla, muscle, shooting, or stealth, but agility, ferocity, and combat they're game for. Right. Interesting that the Ultramarines aren't called Ultramarines there.
1: Yeah, I I don't know why they did that. Also, the same with the uh, Angels of Redemption, no dark angels. Um, I don't. I think that's because the uh, the box game is meant to portray the quote historical Armageddon War, third war of Armageddon. Oh. And I'm not sure that the Ultramarines were present there. Gotcha. Uh, so that may be why they've done that. Okay.
0: Okay. Oh yeah, I see. On the, on the previous page, there's the uh, the blood axes, the death skulls, the evil sons for the orcs, etc. Mm-hmm. Cadians, Catachans and Street Legion, Steel Legion for uh, the uh, guard. Mm-hmm.
1: Steel cool. Steel Legion being the planetary defense of the planet Armageddon. PDF for Armageddon is yeah. Steel Legion.
0: Great. Okay. And these skills. So, for instance, combat skills. So after you'd win, after you'd after you're done with a round in a campaign play, right? Mm-hmm. You'd roll on one of these charts if you're eligible to gain a skill.
1: You're always eligible to gain an advance. It, and I think this is different from the way Necromunda handled it also. Um, I don't recall. Uh, but in in Shadow War, after every game, you can pick one model, and he gets to roll for an advance. Okay. So, you'll roll on a chart, and you will either get a characteristic increase which will increase your basic stat line. And you'll have some choices there, so you don't get stuck, for example, increasing the ballistic skill of a guy that can't shoot. Um, or you can gain a skill.
0: So, for instance, in those skills include, like in the combat skills chart here, mm-hmm. there are six, so you'd roll for that. Mm-hmm. Combat master, if the fighter is attacked by multiple opponents in hand-to-hand combat, then the fighter uses their numbers against them. The enemy fighters don't gain the multiple combat bonuses to their attacks and combat score. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see. So you so you would notate, there must be some kind of sheet for you to notate all this stuff.
1: Oh, there is, and that's part okay. of the joy of, it's the last page in the rulebook, um, and it's maintaining the... The kill team roster is one of the great joys of Necromundo slash. China Interesting. War. Yeah. So
0: there is a bit of bookkeeping. That's oh, yeah, cool. But, uh, yeah.
1: It's it's sort of
0: a No, I'm down with bookkeeping. I like this.
1: Yeah, it's got some RPG elements. Mm-hmm. You can you can name your guys. There's a, and again, over the course of a campaign, if you're doing it right, you will develop rivalries with opponents models and gotcha. it's a lot of fun. Gotcha.
0: I talked about this in another episode. That uh, that PC game XCOM mm-hmm. where you could name all your characters. Yep. You'd level them up, you'd give them medals, you'd give them fancy skills, you'd give them all this stuff that takes a long time to make, if I remember correctly. And then they would just could die. And you're back to like a squad of five people, and then one we like brand new dude who has nothing.
1: Yeah. I love games like that. Hmm. There was a game It's really unforgiving. Oh, it's yeah, super <laughs> unforgiving. It's very frustrating. Yeah. Uh, I'm playing a game right now called Battle Brothers, which is an indie game, which is like uh, sort of an it's an Anglo Saxon fantasy setting. It's mm-hmm. very similar. Um You know, you work your way up from having a stick to having a hatchet to having an actual forged weapon, and that guy dies. He died.
0: So there's a very strong role-playing element to this this and that you're upgrading, you're leveling up characters as you go.
1: Um, And then don't forget about the resupply, which is also critical, and that's when you can add new war gear, recruit new fighters, things like that.
0: So, so say, you, say you have a Space Marine Scout with a sniper rifle. Mm-hmm. When you pay the points to get that sniper rifle, it comes with a certain number of shots. Is that correct?
1: Uh, well, it fires until you fail your ammo roll.
0: Oh, there's an ammo roll.
1: Yeah. And then once you fail your ammo roll, you're out of shot. So you don't know how many shots it has.
0: Let's talk about the ammo roll. What's that about?
1: If you're firing at your opponent and you roll a six, that triggers the ammo roll. Now we have to test to see. You may have run out of ammo. If you roll a six when attempting to shoot. Now we roll the ammo roll. Uh, And every weapon has a different ammo roll value, reflecting the fact that it's a lot easier to find ammo for a lasgun than it is for a melta gun. Gotcha. Um, So I've rolled my six, and I think, okay, now I need to see if I may have run of ammo. I now roll 2d6. If I roll equal to or greater than my ammo roll value, I'm fine. But if I have rolled less, I'm out of ammo, and that my uh, melted gun has now just become a club, right. or not even because there actually is rules for a club, but right. I don't have you it.
0: You can't swing yeah. the uh, the melted gun right. right. It's <laughs> just, I'm just
1: gone. Right. This leads to some some kind of cool situations where yeah, your opponent might have a big scary gun, but if you can just get him to waste some shots, then he might run out of ammo, and then you can sneak up and brain him
0: so by weight of dice you just want to you in certain situations you'd want to just keep forcing your opponent to to roll they get the six they take the ammo roll and all of a sudden click 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 there might be nothing left in the gun
1: right now that's dangerous because they're still shooting at you
0: in the meantime right right but on that six to hit it triggers this roll right really cool and then there's i'll read this repairs and resupplies if a weapon runs out of ammo malfunctions or explodes then it is assumed that the weapon is fixed and its ammo replenished in times for in time for the next battle Supplies of grenades are also restocked, as are any other pieces of specialist equipment that do not specify otherwise.
1: Right, so there's no need to track the literal number of bullets that you have right. from game to game. Right, that's smart. Everything yeah. is refreshed at the beginning of the game.
0: I like that. I like this Overwatch. It's on also on that same page.
1: Mm-hmm. Sustained fire is a super fun. Semi-automatic and automatic weapons. Um, and the basic orc weapon has a sustained fire dice, so they may be terrible shots, but they're spraying shots all over the place.
0: How does so how, really how does fun. the mechanic work? How does it play out?
1: So every sustained fire weapon will have a value: sustained fire one, sustained fire, sustained fire one, sustained fire two, etc. So if I'm for every sustained fire value I have, I roll a d3. So if I'm sustained fire two, firing a sustained fire two weapon, I roll two d3. That's the number of shots I have. Hmm. So my weapon will fire a random but multiple amount of shots. There's rules as to how you can distribute those shots, but you don't have to shoot them all at the same guy. So you can sort of just spray wildly, which is, which is really characterful and a lot of fun.
0: Blast weapons are also very different.
1: Yeah, this brings back the, uh, the good old artillery die.
0: Yeah, what's that about?
1: Um, it's, it's essentially the 2D6 that you would roll with a scatter die, but it's, it's uh, a die with 2, 4, 6, 8 printed on it. So it's just a die that will tell you the distance.
0: And then there's a side with an exclamation point. I'll take it out of my little case now. That's, that's, that's the bad sign, right? Yeah. If, if you get that, then nothing happens. Is that correct? That's the misfire. Misfire. Yeah, misfire. if a misfire is
1: rolled, then the shot dissipates in the air or is a dud and has no effect. Gotcha. If the dice show both a hit and a misfire, then the shot has no effect and the weapon is treated as having failed an ammo roll. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to roll those. And the cool thing is uh, grenades, uh, most of the grenades actually use a large blast. So you're used to a frag grenade being a small blast, but in this it's, it's larger, which is cool when you have models that are going to be more spread out.
0: Oh, right, because so, it's not a unit. So right. right.
1: So it gives you a better chance... To actually hit something with your grenades. Totally.
0: Um, Hand-to-hand combat is also very different.
1: It's extremely different.
0: Hand-to-hand combat in Shadow War Armageddon. Who can fight? Uh, base-to-base contact is necessary. You can charge in.
1: Mm-hmm. Instead of being a situation where I simply roll all of my attacks and then see what happens and you roll all of your attacks and see what happens, it's actually an opposed roll. So we're rolling... I'm trying to beat your roll. It's Um, a little more similar to uh Infinity. Okay. I will roll. I've charged you. We begin. We both roll a number of d6 equal to our attack characteristic. So in 40k, if I have three attacks, I'm rolling three dice, and they can all hit separately. Yeah. In Shadow Armageddon, if I have three attacks, I'm rolling three dice, but they all contribute towards my overall result. Gotcha. Um, We determine the winner. By We both pick our single highest scoring die, and we add our weapon skill to the score. So it's not um, the, there's no weapon skill chart. That's just a modifier to gotcha. your dice roll.
0: So you're just looking for that higher number right. to see who hits. Right. Gotcha.
1: And there are, certain, um, there are certain abilities and situations that can allow you to manipulate this a bit. But for the most part, we're both just... You want to roll as many dice as you possibly can. Pick the highest one. Whoever has the highest one wins. If there's a tie... If I have more initiative than you, I'll win. Otherwise, it's a standoff, which is cool. We're just sort of circling around each other, snapping our right, fingers. Right, <laughs> So now I've won the combat because I've rolled a higher number than you. Sure. But I might hit you multiple times.
0: And that's the difference between the winner's combat score and the loser's combat score. That's right. So if you roll a seven and I roll a four, say, you're hitting me three times.
1: Yeah, which is punishing. Uh now that I've hit you, I've determined the number of times I've hit you. Only now can I actually roll to wound you as I normally would.
0: Gotcha. On a wound chart versus strength versus toughness in that case, yeah. Right. Okay. Let's talk about the train for a second. How do you feel about the train the that's in, in the box?
1: It's beautiful. I love it.
0: It's crazy. There's a ton of detail on them. There's all these round bits, which are nice to see.
1: Yeah. Yeah, everything in the, the Imperial design catalog is so boxy. It's nice to yeah. see some round edges, yeah. but it, it still works.
0: Yeah, they're round and not uh, and not half destroyed. You know, this is you can make it look rusty and, and beat up and whatever, but it's not. Uh, there's nothing crumbly about it, which is cool. It's not in ruins, which right. is nice. So it's definitely a very different place to play, which is really great. Magnetizing this stuff. How do you feel about that?
1: I probably won't do it because I am so lazy when it comes to magnets. But mm. if for someone who is dedicated in that way, it's a great idea. Pretty cool, right? Yeah, you just have this 40k Legos build what you want.
0: Yeah. What are you thinking in terms of uh, the hobby side of this box? What are you going to do to your terrain? Do you have a plan?
1: Well, it depends on whether I get my hands on another set, which mm. is very tempting. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the idea of combining some sets and seeing seeing what I come up with. Mm-hmm. Uh, another reason why that's, that's really great if you can do it is because the set itself, there's a ton of terrain in this box, yeah. but there's essentially two platforms combined by one walkway, and walkways are sort of the hallmark of the Necromunda slash Shadow War game. You right. really want situations where guys are above things and falling off things and yeah. So yeah. combining a couple sets would be a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I've thought I haven't thought a lot about how I'm gonna assemble it. I have thought a lot about how I'm gonna paint it. I can't wait to do all kinds of rusting and stains and it's right up my alley.
0: Yeah, it lends itself to weathering and to oil washes and mm-hmm. to really just beating the heck out of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I can't wait to do that. So I'll probably do some some stenciled numbers on the side. Mm. The one thing I think is goofy is there's a big, uh, there's a giant skull that hangs down, and it looks a little bit like Vic uh, Rattlehead or uh, the Motorhead uh, yeah, that icon. Guy,
0: that guy there. Or yeah, a it's witness? a little goofy.
1: So I probably won't put that on my terrain, <laughs> but it's a great exa- It's a great uh, entry to the bits box. I'm thinking mm-hmm. maybe some sort of like skull dais for some sort of adeptus mechanicus character sweet yeah yeah totally that's cool
0: that's cool yeah there are a lot of little bits here i'm holding uh this is sprue b and there's all kinds of little cables and additional wires you can put on things Mm -hmm. and there's the little skull pulley thing with which is like a winch kind of a deal Mm -hmm. and doors and these kind of bulwark platform things and ladders too because ladders in Shadow War are really important because they you can climb up and down them based on your movement. Yeah. It's cool that they're all optional. There's places to put them, but you can also just leave it open and there's like a weird little door there and there's all this other stuff. And it, yeah. I think in the in the instructions they want you to put like that one on there or you can put something else on there too. It does give you a good bit of wiggle room in terms of how you put this stuff together. Did Necromunda have these little like chips and everything too? Yeah, I think they I think Yeah, they did. you did. Yeah. So, tell us about the campaign you're putting together. What's your plan?
1: So, I really want to relive the Necromunda glory days. I was so excited when I heard about the release of this. I've been following this Mm. anxiously. When it was released, I was there with everyone else refreshing the website until I finally (laughs) grabbed one. So, uh, but I, I, you know, I can't do anything out of the box. I'm not ever satisfied playing it just the way it's meant to be. So... I want to try and use the word league to describe it instead of campaign, because even though it is narrative themed, um, I really want this to feel like, you know, a bowling league or, Hmm. you know, a magic the Gathering league where it's just, you show up every week, you play your games casual laid back, but I want people to care about their standings because when you care about your standings, that's when the rivalries develop and that's Hmm. really what's the fun of, you know, Oh. Alex is getting close. We better all gang up and knock him right. down and,
0: Right. And it keeps people showing up.
1: So I've created my own setting for for this campaign. Um and I'm kind of keeping it a little close to the vest because I want people to discover more about the background as the campaign goes oh. on or the league. I broke my own rule. Uh as the league goes on, so uh my uh my league will be set on this uh, sort of forgotten planet, it was in use during the Horus Heresy, and then it was later colonized, um, and then it sort of dropped off the grid. And it's it's now been rediscovered, and all the various factions of the 40k universe have discovered the fact that, oh, this planet has been a secret for 10,000 years. So mm. none of its technological treasures have been plundered. And it's now, everyone is just, it's the Wild West. Now it's the Gold Rush. It's a Mad Rush get the treasures and get out right um, but there's probably a lot more going on this planet there's probably a reason that it hasn't been plundered yet
0: dun, dun, dun. Yeah, so
1: <laughs> you know maybe play the league and maybe I'll find out
0: I like it I like it. Um,
1: one of the things I really love about uh, Armageddon is in addition to your list uh, your basic guys that are available to you in your list you have these things called operatives and they're special characters essentially that can be hired You pay Prometheum, so you're. And Prometheum is how you win the campaign. So you're bidding, you know, okay, I'm going to spend a resource that I need to win the campaign, but I bet this guy will make me win the game and I will win more. Ah. Uh, Those are built right into the book, but I've also created some special characters for the league which will be not just random space marine terminator number seven but actual named characters with histories that will give you different advantages hmm. and they'll tie into the background so as the story unfolds sweet you might learn why these characters are here
0: oh that sounds awesome yeah so those are essentially free agents that somebody could buy with Prometheum to join into their force
1: right and they only last one game they're not permanent additions. You're not advancing them. So you might buy them one week, and then you might be facing against them the next week.
0: One thing that occurred to me about Shadow War and playing a skirmish-style 40K game, and I liked this about Kill Team, but it's hard to get people who play 40K to play Kill Team's, the Kill Team's rules, on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. But one thing I like about Shadow War is it gives somebody an opportunity to pick a force outside of their own that they play 40K with. Mm-hmm to get into and my thinking is it'd be cool to pick something that's totally different from what i from 40k armies that i have would also be really cool to have different commission painters paint each model in that small force Ah. so for somebody I, i don't know you're like this too you know the the hobby part of it the artistry of it is a big part of this hobby right so to go to like a couple of the greats and to get a single miniature painted by each just for this would be a really awesome way to develop a playable collection of somebody else's work that's a great idea or a number of painters work and it'd also be very characterful i think in a way too i love it that's like an appropriate way to build a little collection of painted models by somebody else
1: yeah we we actually did this as a group a couple years ago uh our buddy joe as a thank you for organizing all of our events we all got together and painted him a Death Watch kill team because he loves using Space Marine veterans. So we have this squad. I, I made the scenic base to tie it all together, and I made one squad member, and then everyone else contributed to Marine, and it was all Marines. They painted a Marine based on the chapter that they played. So uh, it was sort of everyone's character. Was so in it there. was
0: representative of their own armies. Yeah, yeah, it's cool.
1: So we've actually done this, but um, but I, I love your idea. I, I like think that idea. Yeah, yeah, it's
0: really cool. Huh. So what are you calling the League?
1: I'm calling it War of the Rats. Um, It is set on the planet Chalcedon, which is somehow mysteriously linked with the background of the Death Guard
0: Legion. Again, dun dun dun. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. And where can we find more information on this league, Jason?
1: Oh, you can go to pagegaming.com slash forums and check our miniatures subforum and you'll find it near the top of there.
0: Pagegaming.com slash forums. Cool. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. The Chosen. Something special we've found related to the hobby in the recent weeks. Jason, what have you found that stands out?
1: Uh, well, it's definitely not a secret to everyone else, but it's been a secret to me. I discovered the Games Workshop dry brush paints.
0: Hmm. What makes them special?
1: So, they're a lot thicker uh, than a regular paint. They're almost a solid. Whoa. Yeah. it's uh, it, Which makes it, you open up the pot and it's just this glob hmm. of, you know, of paint in there. Um, and it makes it a lot easier to dry brush and it also interacts with the model a little differently, you know, and obviously you can dry brush with any paint. Um, uh, but I tend to use Vallejo paints to do the bulk of my work and they're great, but they're very fluid. So when you dry brush, you need to, you know, you want the paint to dry out a little bit and yeah. it just doesn't um, but the dry brush, the games workshop dry brush paints are, are great, uh, for that. Um, I use them a lot for, flesh tones which are sort of an area of weakness of mine Hmm. um so there's a there's an elf i think it's called elf flesh or something um which i dry brush very heavily
0: (laughs) (laughs) so you're base coating in white and then dry brushing the flesh on or
1: no i'll base coat in um so for example i've been painting my cultists Mm -hmm. and i want them to have a sort of sickly look so i base coat them in this uh, vallejo color called rotting flesh it's mm-hmm. sort of like a jaundiced flesh tone um and then i will wash them with a red and brown mix that i've made and that gets into the recesses and then the games workshop elf flesh which is a very very pale skin tone um goes on over that and uh because it allows the layers underneath it to show through. It just sort of ties everything together. Mm. Um, you know. And again, this is something that people have been doing for years, but these, <laughs> these specially formulated dry brush paints have helped me a right, lot. Right. The only problem is because they are very dry, they dry out real quickly, and sometimes you really have to jam your brush into, into the, the paint. Pot. Yeah, oh, I see.
0: Gotcha. Um, so I imagine you're not using as much as you would with a regular paint you're dry brushing because you're probably not taking as much off the brush after oh. After you put the brush in the pot, correct? Yeah, you're using
1: yeah. A, a fraction of, you know, the hmm. paint you would normally use.
0: And it's in a typical GW pot. Yep. Huh. Yep. That's cool. I like that. Yeah.
1: No, they're good. I, I liked it so much, I went out and got some other colors, and now I just dry brush everything.
0: Is it, there are a lot of colors in that dry brush? Oh, yeah, there's, range? A,
1: there's a pretty good range.
0: Huh. I'll have to check them out. The Chosen for Me, it's the Gathering Storm series of books, in particular, Gathering Storm 3. Return of the Primarch. Um, There was a section in there, the story does jump around a bit and it's not the best of the three books, but there's a moment in there when Greyfax and Celestine have a conversation and Greyfax accepts the fact that Celestine is a true imperial saint. I have to admit I was a little bit filled up when I read that section pretty powerful stuff just that little snippet it was in, you know one of the little sidebar bits you know just paragraph long but having read you know the first two gathering storm books and and hearing about grayfax's just contempt almost in certain sections for celestine and then her coming around to acknowledge the holy presence of the emperor in Celestine was a pretty special pretty special little blurb so that's my pick for The Chosen Um, I'm sure many of our listeners have read all three of those books Um, I really enjoyed all three I liked the progression of the story I liked the rules I loved the Empiric Storm cards a lot of fun with the Empiric Storm deck I've been using it in every game Um, just for some extra shenanigan action Uh, really really good we'll take a quick break and be right back to wrap up the show That was episode 5 of Crew Shaken. Hope you liked it. I know I am excited to build this Shadow War Armageddon terrain up and crack into some games and join in on the War of the Rats League that Jason is organizing over at pagegaming.com. i never played in a league or any kind of a campaign like that before. That'll extend over several weeks. Should be a good time. I'd like to thank my guest, Jason, for joining me on another episode. You can check out his work at headwoundminis.com. Anyhow, if you've liked what you've heard, do leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you got this podcast and pay us a visit at facebook.com slash crew shaken. For Crew Shaken, episode five, I've been Tim
1: and I'm Jason.
0: Thanks for listening.